That's on page 511 if, you have, if you're using the Black Pew Bibles. Psalm 73. Just two verses. Verse 25 and 26. Because men must not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Hear God's word from Psalm 73, verses 25 and 26. Who do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, we pray that you would help us to yearn for you, that our understanding of your word, understanding of who you are might grow, that you would recalibrate us to desire more of you and to get more of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. When you feel absolutely worn out, debilitated and discouraged, how do you respond? When you're discouraged, worn out, beaten down, you've tried over and over and over again, but nothing seems to work out. And you're throwing your hands up in the air and you're completely and utterly destroyed, feeling utterly discouraged. How do you respond? Some of us, might quickly shove and sweep them under the carpets so that our discouragements may not be apparent to others. And then you might run to your ultimate comfort, ice cream, or binge watching, or binge gaming, or binge dieting. I'm not sure what you're into, but you might respond to discouragements by hiding, by escaping, by running to something that gives you ultimate comfort. The point is, some of us run away when we feel utterly discouraged. Now, you might not fit in that category. Some of you might be polar opposite. You feel discouraged? You start the internal beatdown. I can't remain discouraged. So you keep beating yourself up. You solve it, you fix it, and you move on. You do more, do more, do more. You were discouraged about one matter, so you have to become better. You run faster, you run harder, and you keep that pace until you feel accomplished. You create even a plan to achieve it. You do this so that you can move out of your gloomy and discouraging season. So you fight with all your might. Some of us might be in the middle, and you might be thinking, ah, it's the middle, that must be the answer. Well, it's not, because in the middle isn't always and necessarily better, because in this case, you're not fighting, you're looking at your discouragement, and you're literally just paralyzed. You can't seem to do anything. You're anxious. And maybe you're just, you've opted out by crying and saying, I can't do this. So I'm just going to sit 
and be frozen. And I'm sure there are only, I'm sure that these aren't the only ways we respond to our discouragements. But saints, make no mistake, how you respond reveals what you rely on and functionally what you trust. You've probably seen Leah, my youngest daughter, who's a one-year-old, walking around and kind of waltzing around. It seems like she's the owner of this building, <laughs> just waltzing around everywhere and crawling around, around everywhere. But if you've seen her become startled, she screams and she looks for mommy and daddy right away. How she responds reveals whom she relies on to protect her, rightfully mommy and daddy. In the same way, when we feel discouraged, when trials come, when we compare ourselves to wicked doers and see their prosperity, and we turn to our ultimate comfort, that becomes our God. In Psalm 73, the psalmist tells us that he nearly slipped because he was envious of the arrogant. That's in verse 1. It's, it says, God is indeed good to Israel, to the pure in heart. Verse 2. But as for me, my feet almost slipped. My steps nearly went astray. Why? Why did the psalmist's feet almost slip? Verse 3 gives the answer. Because I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. The psalmist has been walking with the Lord faithfully by keeping, his, by keeping his hands clean and washing his hands in innocence. But the psalmist is discouraged and empty because it seems to not matter whether one keeps his hand clean or not. Because of the outcome of the wicked seems to prosper and they seem to disdainfully laugh at the Lord in their wickedness. So the psalmist is absolutely discouraged and worn out. That's the status of psalmist in Psalm 73. But there is a decisive moment when that discouragement turns. That's in verse 16. Look down with me to verse 16. It reads, When I tried to understand all, the, all this, it seemed hopeless until I entered God's sanctuary. Then I understood their destiny. In other words, their end. Now, looking at these, those two verses, the psalmist takes a drastic turn in his affections for the Lord. And one of the highlights of his affections is recorded in verse 25 and 26. So, the previous verses, previous to verse 16, the psalmist is absolutely discouraged because he's thinking, I've done so much for the Lord. I've kept my hands clean. I've helped, I kept my conscience clean. I'm walking faithfully. I'm keeping that path. Yet, everyone who's not following the Lord is prospering. They're disdainfully laughing at me and the Lord. Why should I go through this disadvantage if I'm following the Lord and other people aren't following the Lord? What's the advantage of following the Lord? In verse 16 and 17, and then I entered God's sanctuary. Then I understood their destruction, their end. That's when it turns. And then we get to verse 25 and 26. Psalmist stating his affection. 
objections to the Lord. It reads, who do I in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion. Main question that verse 25 and 26 answers is, who is God to us? Who is God to us? There are three answers. First answer, God is our greatest desire. The psalmist looks at those wicked and evil doers who are thriving and laughs at them. I don't care whether they're thriving or not. I don't care whether it seems like in their calculation that me following the Lord is a loss and not a gain. I don't care about that because I have seen their end. The Lord has shown me their end. He looks up and then he says, verse 25, whom have I in heaven but you? And then in heaven, I desire nothing but you. On earth, I desire nothing but you. So saints, don't envy those who are seemingly thriving without the Lord. Saints, when you look at the world, when you look at your coworkers and your neighbors laughing, partying it up without the Lord and living a life apart from the Lord and they seem content and happy and they seem like they're thriving and advancing even in their careers because you can't compromise your conscience, know that having the Lord is better. That your greatest need and your desire is actually the Lord, not a greater advancement in your career. Not even, even amongst Christian circles, if you're single, not even a spouse, not even having kids, not even, for some of you who aspire to become pastors, not even becoming pastors. For those of you who are wanting to go out into the mission field, not even better than going out to the mission field. It is better to have the Lord because we desire nothing but the Lord. Now, that desire to go out into the mission field, that desire to have a kid, that desire to get married, that desire to become a pastor, you don't have to pit them against knowing the Lord and loving the Lord. But in comparison to that desire to know the Lord and to have the Lord is significantly and infinitely better. It's infinitely better. We desire nothing on earth but the Lord because the Lord is everything to us. The question that we're trying to answer is, who is God to us? First was greatest desire. Second is strength of my heart. Strength of my heart. Strength of my heart is something that we hold on to tightly at the moment because that's ultimately what we rely on. If our heart fails, we have nothing to boast about. We simply perish. When our heart is, heart is strengthened, we can boast about the vitality of our lives. But we boast in the Lord. <laughs> Not even the fact that we have voices to scream, but the Lord. The Lord is also our portion, what we get, an inheritance, something that we look forward to in receiving. You know, 
As I was thinking about how the Lord is the strength of our heart and, the, and our portion, I was thinking, okay, if my heart fails and my flesh also fail, how can I say that God is the strength of my heart and my portion? We can only say as my heart and my flesh is failing, we can only say that the Lord is the strength and the Lord is our portion if and only if, if there's an afterlife. Because if this life is all that we see and all that we're going to have, then our flesh and our heart is really the ultimate end. Because there is no life outside this flesh and this heart. It only makes sense if there is resurrection. And saints, take this, take this to heart because we will receive glorified bodies and we will receive the new heavens and the new earth. When, when Christ returns, we will, be, will, we will be able to say, yes, my heart and my flesh did fail, yet our strength is, the strength of our heart and our portion is the Lord. Not what I have right now. Not the temper, temporary clothing that I have. Not just this clothing, but physical clothing that I have. That's not all that I have. That's not all that I'm going to have in the future. And this is actually not what we'll receive, or the fact that God is the strength and our portion is not temporary, but it's forever. Not just for a season, but for eternity. Now let me give you some applications. Some application is the fact that our prayers shouldn't merely be for God to remove our trials, but to turn our complaints to God to trust that He is enough. A lot of us have prayed, God, I'm going through this trial, I'm going through this physical pain, remove this. Now I'm not saying that that's a bad prayer, but that's not how it ought to end. And we can also turn to the prayer of Jesus. He doesn't merely, Jesus doesn't merely end his prayer by stating, Father, remove this cup from me. How does he, how does he our Lord, our master, our teacher, end that prayer? Father, remove this cup from me, but not my will, but whose will? Yours be done. <coughs> Pay attention to our older brother and his prayer, and imitate that prayer. It's okay to ask the Lord what you want, but it might not be okay for you to end merely with what you want because we ought to calibrate our desires because, brothers and sisters, our desires are fickle. Is it not? So how? How do we calibrate our desires? Well, the answer really comes from Psalm 73. The, psalm, the psalmist used to envy wicked doers, but upon entering sanctuary, he declares who God is, and that's it. We calibrate our desires by declaring who God is in our prayers. That's what he does in verse 26. Our flesh and heart may fail, but our God and he's declaring a statement about God. God is the strength of my heart and my portion. So how do we calibrate our desires? 
Calibrate your desires by declaring who God is in your prayers. Your feelings and even your experiences might not reflect what God says about who, him, who he says he is. So we ought to declare who God is and to recalibrate our feelings and our experiences according to and in light of who God is to us. But saints, let's face it. When you look at this text, verse 25 and 26, are you encouraged or are you discouraged? If you're like me, I am both encouraged and discouraged. In one sense, I'm encouraged because when I look at this text, this is what I want. I want this to be true in my life. God, I want nothing but you. But the discouragement is so evident in our lives, isn't it? When you look back to your week this past week and you look at your week in light of this text, it is discouraging because we have not lived that way. Though we want to confess this, we don't live this. Our greatest desire on earth was not God, but perhaps stranger things. Perhaps having a kid. There's a lot of things that we desired apart from the Lord. But saints, we can take heart because there is someone who had done this perfectly and satisfyingly, and that's Jesus. Even when his heart and flesh were failing on the cross, he still turned to the Lord. Even in his discouragement, perhaps, he didn't turn to anyone else but the Lord. He cries out to Abba Father, whom he ultimately and functionally trusts. That God-man who did what we couldn't do on the cross took our ransom and our sins, and he was cursed on a tree, making payment for our sins. Friends, if you don't claim yourself to be a Christian, this is the gospel. The good news is that you can be reconciled to God. But before that, you need to understand what the bad news is. The bad news is that though God created us to enjoy him forever, we didn't. We wanted to enjoy our own selves apart from the Lord. Apart from the creator, we wanted to enjoy creation. And apart from the Lord, we wanted to rebel. Whether conscious or subconscious or unconscious, we did not follow the Lord. And that deserves rightful punishment because God is just. Though God is loving, he is also perfectly just. So he can't simply say, oh, I haven't looked at your sin. You can just bypass it. He's perfect and just. That's why God sends Christ. And he lives that perfect life. And he was cursed on a tree so that if you repent and turn to trust in Christ, you can be reconciled. That's the good news. That you can believe today, that you can turn today, and that you can find eternal life in God, in Christ. And he will forgive you of your sins. So friends, if you don't claim yourself to be a Christian, you're always welcome. We plead with you. Repent and trust in Christ. And saints, BBC saints, and saints who are visiting us from different churches, we have initially turned from our sins towards trusting in Christ as our rock and our portion. But Christianity is not just initially turning and trusting. It's ongoing. 
Let's continue to trust in Christ as our strength of our hearts and our portion. Let me close with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We see how we lack, even as we look at Psalm 73, verses 25 and 26. Yet we know that we are forgiven because of Christ, our older brother, who perfectly obeyed you, who perfectly turned to you as um, strength and portion. We pray that you would help us to imitate, and even in our discouragement, help us to not to run into broken cisterns, but to run to you and to run to Christ, that we would continue to trust Christ as our strength and our portion. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.